3: Boxing with Chris Mannix is presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear. You guys know I love my NBA. And there's no better place to get into the action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long. When you win, you get paid fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. Combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay and try out Same Game Parlay Plus. So, download the FanDuel app today using promo code BOXING. Start making every moment
2: more.
3: Welcome in, by the way, Boxing with Chris Manners, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, Colin Cowherd's Podcast Network. Joined this week by two of my favorite boxing writers, Jake Donovan, Corey Urban, both writers, over at Boxing Scene. Fellas, I am coming to you from my living room, or my office, I should say, and I have a big, giant boot on my left foot because x-rays revealed that... I had a small fracture in my talus bone in my foot. So I knew something was wrong This uh, last week, really. But I also knew I had to walk the red carpet for the Creed Three premiere. Had to walk the red carpet. Clearly, the, that movie could not go on without my presence. So I just put off the doctor's appointment until Tuesday, knowing that whatever the news was going to be, it wasn't going to be good. Put on my shoe... Took a bunch of Tylenol, (laughs) muscled through it, and uh, yesterday, or Tuesday, I should say, got the bad news that uh, I'll be in a boot for six weeks. So when I am on air uh, on March 18th for the Gabe Rosado-Gilberto Ramirez tilt in Southern California, uh, from the feet down, I will be in, or from the knee down, I will be with a boot on my left foot, so... I just watched this is my dedication, Jake, to this podcast that I am playing hurt, playing through pain in this one.
4: I I gotta say, (laughs) listen, I have experience in this realm. I've I have called a fight several fights with a boot on before, and my first date with my now wife was also in a boot. So I think there's hope for you, Chris. Some good things can come out of this era.
3: That's very, very descriptive, Corey. I appreciate that. (laughs) All right, well, a lot to get into, guys. I do want to talk about a couple of the events of this past week and a couple of other things coming up, plus the future of PBC, Uh, Stephen Espinoza, the president of Showtime Sports. He joins me a little bit later in the show and we address some of those topics. But I want to start uh, with the topic that makes the boxing purist cry. Jake Paul, the now once beaten professional boxer, six and one after his decision defeat to Tommy Fury over in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Close fight, uh, competitive fight, uh, not too... You know criticize any of my fellow broadcasting peers, but I don't think it was a high- level fight by any stretch that that was sloppy, and the one knockdown had as much to do with the ring apron being slippery in that one spot as it did a power punch uh, from Jake Paul. So uh, Jake Donovan, we'll start with you. Uh, your impression of the fight? Did it go how you expected? Did anything surprise you? What were your takeaways from Paul Fury Part one?
5: Part one. Exactly. Um, well, I will say, look, I was on record saying I thought Jake Paul was going to win. So people were clowning Tommy Fury for celebrating as if he won. You know, he he matched Tyson Fury's achievement, winning the heavyweight championship. This is his heavyweight championship. This is the biggest fight he is ever going to win. Maybe he goes on to beat a KSI or another YouTuber. This is his level. So um, th- that's really the only aspect that surprised me. Um, I I don't know if Tommy was at his best. I don't know. To me, it kind of looked like Jake was at his worst. So that did surprise me a little bit. I always said, even I was ringside for, I think all three of us were ringside for his pro debut three years ago. And I always said that he was going to evolve to be far among, you know, the best YouTubers. That he he couldn't compete on that circuit because he was too good. So this was like the first time we saw him take a step backwards, I thought. Maybe with the first Tyron Woodley fight. But this one in particular, um, it, it was still competitive though. So, you know, the dare was go fight a pro boxer. He fought a pro boxer. I don't think there's a case for him to have won the fight. I was a little surprised that it was a split decision, but not really because it's boxing. I thought Tommy Fury did clearly win, but it, it was competitive. So um, I, I didn't think he disgraced himself in any regard. It just, you know, I think all three of us can agree. It just wasn't, I guess it was entertaining in its own way, just not in the sense of an entertaining boxing match. Corey, what'd you think?
4: Yeah, I, I thought that this was, you know, a, a good competitive uh, club level boxing match which is not like to coming from me that is not a pejorative in any way like i as as i wrote about on boxing scene.com uh this is like jake paul is probably in i would say like the top 50 percent of active boxers globally right like the 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 boxing that we tend to see on the major broadcast outlets here is like the top 5% of boxers globally, you know, maybe 10%. Um, and and some guys will kind of slip in here and there on, on the undercards, but for Jake Paul to have taken up the sport three years ago and to be able to compete with someone like Tommy Fury, who has boxed his entire life is As I wrote, probably at this point, kind of like a a UK area level title contender type guy right now. He probably wouldn't win a European title today, but maybe that's kind of like a ceiling that he could aim for. Might might even be too high. But even for Paul to compete with someone like that is still impressive. Now, people don't want to talk about that too much because it's a lot more fun to clown Jake Paul. And quite frankly, there's probably more currency in clowning Jake Paul. But for what this boxing match was... It was a competitive club level boxing match on the biggest possible stage that you could put something like that.
3: Jake, does, you know, the outcome of a fight usually dictates whether or not there'll be a rematch. Now, Jake Paul does have a rematch clause. I don't know what the appetite would be for a country like Saudi Arabia or another Middle Eastern location to put on a rematch. Let's be real, that's where most of the money came from. For this fight, the big purses both of them got, it obviously generates some money on pay-per-view, probably a lot more money on pay-per-view with the UK than it did in the US, given the timing of it. And 50 bucks is pretty expensive for like a five o'clock Eastern time uh, main event. So uh, do you, are you expecting there to be a rematch? I mean, Jake Paul said, we're going to run it back. And if there is, A, is there a chance the outcome could be different? And B, is there going to be, do you think, an appetite for it?
5: I do think the outcome up- can be different. Uh, the appetite that that depends. Maybe there'll be one. You know, there's an audience that wants to see if Jake Paul can overcome, you know, adversity. Um, to me, I always felt like he was playing with house money anyway. I don't think the law. Maybe we'll get into this later, but I don't think the loss necessarily hurts him. Most people tend to why he has the weather effect, except on a much lower, lower level where people just kind of watch to see him lose. They, you know, they pay to, you know, that he always gets booed everywhere he goes. So I think there's always going to be that interest in his career um tommy fury i don't see why he wouldn't take it you know especially you know, i mean if he's enforced my curiosity is where it lands it obviously can't take place in the u.s you know the fury family has a lot to figure out in that regard so it Tyson could fight wherever he wants tommy is limited and outside of a jake paul rematch he's not going to make a lot of money unless he fights someone like ksi so he's going to have to push all in for that um i i just don't know it, it seemed you know it was, everyone was certainly watching on sunday you know so you know, people do pay attention when Jake Paul fights, but we kind of seen it. It's like, I don't know, you know, it's that it like even like with Paul and Woodley, I thought the rematch was far less watchable up until that sensational knockout. That saved it. Up until then, that, that fight was, in my opinion, horrible. So I, I just don't know if anything could change from the first fight, other than, you know, a better condition Jake Paul, which obviously, you know, probably would lead to a win. Corey, does,
3: does Jake Paul, you know, need to, quote, avenge, this loss to continue to be as marketable as he once was. To Jake's point, like if you're Jake Paul, there's just as much, if not more money, in you fighting Nate Diaz. There's just as much, if not more money, in you fighting KSI. You've got a lot of options in the crossover community that could make you a very rich man. But does he need to you know, go back and do Fury again before he moves on to something like that? Because people like Eddie Hearn have suggested don't do it, Jake. Don't go back in with Tommy Fury. Fight KSI next. If you can make a deal with Nate Diaz or some other ex-UFC star, go ahead and do it. Uh, Does he need to go back and do that? Well, I think to keep the same ceiling that maybe he thought he
4: had, both in terms of the amount of dollars he could possibly make and also where he thinks he will wind up as a professional boxer, I think the answer to that is yes. And to Jake's point, colleague Jake's point, uh, I think that there is room for improvement with Jake Paul still, right? There's more room for him to improve than there probably is for Tommy Fury. But uh, as my other colleague uh, Chris Algieri said on his podcast, he thinks that Tommy Fury beats Jake Paul ten out of ten times because the the experience gap is is just too wide. And no matter what, you know, Tommy will will continue improving just enough to always stay ahead of Jake Paul. Um, so there's that. But I do think that there's there's also kind of there's that Plan B. For Jake Paul, which is fated, uh, facing the KSI's, which is going back to the, you know, the kind of faded MMA fighter circuit. And there will continue to be a market for that. It might be a smaller market because I think that there are there is a group of people that are now that were tuning in that were hate watching that are now satiated because they saw Jake Paul lose. There's a, a still, though, a big group of people that want to see him lose worse. Uh, and there's still a very big group of people that love Jake Paul, right? Like his audience isn't just haters. There are people that really adore this person and will continue to face him. So or we'll continue to, to tune in to watch him, but he can always go to the other side. And by the other side, I mean, kind of that, the pure influencer circuit, the KSI side of the road, which is kind of opting out of being true pro boxers, right? The KSI's fights aren't on box rack. They're not Trying to oversell what they are, they're just selling grudge matches between influencers. And as long as he's okay with going and doing that, that is still there for him, and it will still be wildly profitable.
3: You know, Jake, I get Corey's point and Chris Algieri's point to a degree, but I don't, I don't agree with Chris, with uh, the Chris Algieri statement that Tommy Fury would win ten out of ten times. Like th- that. Tommy Fury won that fight. I, I scored it for him. I agree with you. I don't think it should have been a split decision. He, he should have won that fight by a point or two. But like Jake can get a little bit better, as he has in virtually every one of his fights. That was the best I've seen Tommy Fury look. And I've seen yeah. you know three or four of his fights live, either in person or on TV. Um, yeah. I, I think Jake can absolutely improve to the point where he can win a decision against Tommy Fury. I think he came into that fight thinking Tommy wouldn't be able to take the overhand right. Well, Tommy was prepared for the overhand right. And when he did get caught with some shots, he took them because he's younger, fresher, he's got a real chin. That's what happens. I think if Jake's smart, and he is, he goes back in the gym, makes some adjustments, maybe comes out as more of a boxer in the next time. That to me is the intrigue. Because I I don't believe it's an unwinnable fight for Jake Paul. In fact, I think it's very winnable if he changes some Mm -hmm. of his game plan and fights a different way.
5: Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, to your point, like, it was almost to the point where he was kind of telegraphing that the We kept saying everyone reported it, you know, that that's his money punch. Tommy Fury knew that was coming. And Jake Paul, sure enough, he threw it. And Tommy Fury was prepared for it. I mean, I even joked, I think it was when Fury fought Anthony Taylor. I said, I don't even think he's ready for Sean Paul. Never mind Jake Paul. So this was like the evolution of Tommy Fury in two years more so. And again, Jake Paul, he doesn't owe anyone an apology. He can go back to YouTube. I think it's kind of done him a disservice. To try to prove to people that he can hang with an actual boxer because his rating his pay-per-view numbers have actually gone down i haven't seen the figures yet for for this one maybe it goes back up but he's trended downward since you know he was on the tyson jones on the card and then even when he fought ben askren so going back to that youtube circuit i i think it's going to work to his benefit like you know as far you know from a pure uh profit standpoint so it, it's going to be up to him he, honestly he has nothing to prove he went in there he he shut everyone up before the boxer he came close yeah so maybe go and do the rematch prove you can actually beat a boxer i mean he can go and fight um I think Luis Pineda, the guy that KSI fought, who's become a, a big star in the misfit boxing circuit. I mean, go fight someone like that and beat him. It's worked for KSI, so why wouldn't it work for Jake? Who's Paul? The, who's that guy? And Corey, you probably know the answer to this. Salt Shaker, Salt. What oh, salt poppy. Salt,
4: salt poppy. 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 Yeah. Yeah. salt Poppy.
5: Salt Poppy. Who has Salt
3: poppy. I'm sorry, And he's called I'm saying, both of them. I sounded yeah. so old saying that <laughs> Salt Poppy right there. But that guy comes in with some energy, man. He's got an attitude uh, there to yeah. him. Uh, so That's yeah, That's a look, perfect yeah, opponent. Yeah, it, it's good. It'll be fun. I, I actually prefer Jake Paul. I think he's going to. The rematch. I think we'll probably see it in the UK. Uh, both those guys can make a boatload of money, but either way, I think Jake Paul's got a future in that influencer circuit as well. Um, the real fight of this past weekend, 140 pound title fight. Guys, I have got this Twitter follower that sends me DMs like once every like six or seven weeks about Subriel Matias, like telling me that this is the next great fighter the next great world champion uh and sure enough in the aftermath of matias uh winning the ibf version of the 140 puns i got another long paragraph uh from this guy so uh jake donovan i'll ask you this uh was this a coming out party for super real matias like we've seen him on the circuit for a few years now he's been in, in prominent fights for for a while i think a lot of people you know Kind of knew him in a tragic way for what happened in the Dadasha fight in D.C. a few years ago. Uh, but this is a, a, a 30-year-old fighter, blunt force power, great chin. Uh, did we see the emergence of a new star on Saturday?
5: I mean, to your point, I think he's always been there. I guess he just needed this opportunity. Like even when Regis fought Jose Zapata, it was kind of a reminder that, yes, he is still, he's probably the best junior world to in the world. You know, even though Josh Taylor is the true champ, I I would pick Regis in a rematch if they fought today. So Subriel, I think he made that statement that he's right there. He and Regis are both going to have a hard time finding opponents. So it makes even more sense that they do go and fight each other. But he made the statement that he had to make. Uh, You know, I I think he's always been at this level. He just needed this opportunity. I mean, the poor guy was training for like nine months, you know, waiting for this fight to finally transpire. He heard rumors about, you know, uh, Ponce not you know being able to settle up his visa, went back to a purse bid. TGB had to get, you know, regain control of it just to get this fight over the line. So the scary part is I think we're going to see an even better version if he doesn't have to, you know, wait this long in between fights. But yeah, the talent has always been there. I, I find it remarkable, too, that for, you know, all he's been through and the tragedy with Dashev, you know, to come back with that and literally still have that, you know, he's talking about still, you know, killing people. I mean, that, mm. that's a scary mentality. Corey, yeah, what that, do you think?
4: yeah, I, I think that, that that's what's really stood out to me about Matias is and it's, like, you almost don't want to say that it's a positive thing, but th- right. the fact that he has gone through that tragedy and still has that that meanness and almost a, a callousness to his approach mm-hmm. makes him a very scary operator in the ring. And when you combine that with what his attributes are in the ring, which, as you mentioned, are knockout power and a really outrageous motor for 140 pounds, this is a guy who is tailor-made for television. And I think, to your point, Chris, I think the question with Matthias has always been, it has Is this just a really exciting fighter who we'll see for a little bit and then he fades out? Or is he going to have some degree of longevity uh, on the prominent circuit, you know, on, on Showtime? And now that he has a world title uh, and has a victory over another world-class type opponent, I think the answer to that is yes. And And I don't know... I don't know if I agree with the person in your DMs that this is sort of like the next great uh, champion necessarily, <laughs> but he is a world champion. And I think that this, it's not a, uh, it, I don't think it does him a disservice to say that, Hey, maybe this is one of this generation's, you know, Brandon Rios's or Mike Alvarado's, you know, those type of fighters who win world titles mm-hmm. and are just on premium cable for a long time and are one of the most memorable fighters of this generation. that. That goes a long way. That makes you a lot of money. That that yeah. keeps you in the fans' consciousness for a long time. And the types of fights that Matias is delivering and probably will continue to deliver are going to make him that if he continues to get these opportunities.
3: Yeah, Jake, I'd, I'd level him above uh, guys like Alvarado and Rios who were fun fighters, but <laughs> I don't think they were – we wouldn't consider one of them great fighters even at their apex – Uh, I think Matias has that potential to be not just a world champion, but a unified world champion, maybe an undisputed world champion. I mean, look, Ponce's good, not great, but he came out in that first round, and he was throwing bombs. He was coming right at Matias, throwing big shots. And what impressed me about Matias, at the end of that first round, after taking that onslaught, He just kind of shrugged his shoulders, went back to the corner, settled down, got back into it, started landing his own shots to the point where, that was after the fifth, Ponce's corner's like, oh, screw this, we're not not doing this anymore. Like, my guys, but it was like the, um, we should almost brand it like the Hector Luis Garcia business decision moment. Like, just, you know what, (laughs) let's live to fight another day on this one. This guy's kicking her ass. I think this guy's got a uh, a pretty high ceiling at 140
5: pounds. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I mean, he's kind of, I love the fact that he went back. He avenged the lone boss uh, he had. He said it was a, it was an off night. He accepted defeat. He went back and he knocked that guy out. Um, the fight that really impressed me, I was ringside for it when he beat uh, uh Jokic. Ju- oh, excuse me you can buy off i think i'm probably yeah, i'm impressed yeah. that you, i'm impressed you got thank that you, far. i'm impressed thank you impressed you. you got that yeah, yeah. cory's always the superior researcher to me thank you Corey. <laughs> um but yeah but but that fight i mean again it was like he had to overcome a little bit of adversity you know that guy was coming on and then it just matthias once he gets going like there's it just seems to be no stopping him so Ponce got a sense of that i think that's going to be the case with um i could really see him running the tables on the pbc side at least I think he's very competitive with Regis. I, I think he would probably beat Josh Taylor right now. I just don't think Josh Taylor is any longer at his best at 140. I think he's doing a disservice by staying at this weight, but he might be in no man's land. But to me, the fight is going to be uh, Regis and, and Matias. I, I think Subriel beats everyone like uh, Rolly Romero, uh, Pueyo, anyone that PBC can offer him. I, I think he would run the tables over there.
4: I, I would say not only do I give him a shot against you know all the guys in the top 10 at 140, but the other thing is that I think the matchup of Matias against any one of those guys in the top 10 is more exciting than any other matchup that you could make between any combination of other guys at 140. And that's important too. Yes. You know, I think Matias against any, Matias against Jack Catterall is more exciting than any, like in terms of pure action is going to be more exciting than any other pairing uh, of two men at 140. And, and that like that enough is going to get people to tune in.
3: You know, that, Corey's got like a poster of that Eastern European guy you just named there like behind him. He's like, Oh, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, he lived, yeah, in yeah. Canada.
4: Like, I, he lived in Canada I, I for called, a
3: time. <laughs> I, I called three of his fights on uh, ESPN 12. That it actually was, is it true true. I <laughs> have called three of his fights. I, I, I'm shocked. I'm not shocked by that. You know, you you guys mentioned, uh, and Jake, I'll put this to you. Uh, a pro Grey fights a no brainer, right? Pro Grey's already on Twitter talking shit, saying I'll eat this guy for lunch. Matias doesn't back down right. from anybody. Um, it's a meaningful fight because two titles would be on the line. It would leapfrog the winner into a different stratosphere and be a fight of the year uh, contender for sure, maybe an obvious one. Um, question is, who's going to pay for it, right? Like right. That, That's what it always comes down to. And gray right now is in no man's land of his own trying to get a title defense done in the first half of this year so he can look at you know, potential options in the second half. Uh, Matias, maybe he's got an IBF mandatory coming up, but that's probably a little bit further down the line. Like, to me, the window's now, right? It's like June, July of this year where the winner of that fight can can be that guy that can look to the winner of Tefimo Lopez, Josh Taylor, and say, I got two belts. You want him? Can maybe look to Ryan Garcia if he moves up in weight after this Javante fight and say, you want a big fight? I got two belts. You want it? Um, you know, I I I, I don't, I guess I'm pessimistic, Jake, that that fight could actually happen because they're both going to want like high six figures at least to get it done. And I don't know who in the boxing broadcast landscape is going to pay for it.
5: No, I, I'm with you on that. And, you know, with Regis, look, Marvin Rodriguez, I think he spent the only $2.4 million that he had to ever get in the Regis pro grade business again. So um, the thing with the Matias, I actually just reported today the IBF is now in the process of trying to establish uh, a mandatory for. Matias. So they sent invitation letters to uh, Urgachev and to Jack Catterall. Uh, Urgachev has already accepted, so it's up to Catterall. So they would have to fight to become his mandatory. That means Matias should be entitled a voluntary defense. He would have to get back in the ring soon, not wait another 13 months or whatever plan. Hopefully, you know, PBC and Showtime are motivated to, you know, roll these guys out more often than once a year like we got last year. So with that, I, I don't know if a Progre fight could happen next, but Progre, he's stuck with the whole whatever's going on Probellum that, you know, I know they're in the process of being sold to this disrupt promotions, whatever company. I don't know what fighters are going to go on board. I was told it's going to be like less than a third of the of the roster on Probellum that would go over to them. But I don't know if that creates even more problems for him. I, he would probably just have to make another deal with PBC. Because, you know, we we dream about all these fights, but then again, it's like, who is going to pick up the check? So PBC would have to decide, yes, it's a good fight, and you can't put that on pay-per-view. It has to be a Showtime main event, so then you have to establish the budget for that. But if Matias can get back in the ring within the next six months, and Regis can't get someone like a Sergey Lipinets or, well, obviously Gary Antoine Russell's now going backwards You know, in his career, in his development, th- that fight makes sense. It's like, if you can make that fight now, let's do it now.
3: Yeah. Corey, that's an awesome Showtime main event. Like,
5: the, that's a, oh, a yeah. huge
3: viewership, huge, you know, event. I, I, maybe you do it in, you know, Texas, Louisiana, somewhere close to where Reed just draws a few fans, but that's a massive event. I, I'll, just a massive yeah, event.
4: I'll, I'll keep some praise on it, and you know, I think that you know, calling it one of the best fights that you can make in boxing, some people might uh, might kind of like bristle at that. But so I'll I'll qualify it on a personal level. For me. Matias versus Progre. It feels like one of the most like aesthetically pleasing fights that you could possibly make right now. That that are that are reasonable. You know, Matias and his punch output, and then Progre with that combination of kind of slickness and willingness to work on the inside. Uh, to me, that is just like. That's the kind of fight that I dream about. Right? So I, I want it to get made, and I don't know what kind of viewership that it would get. But uh, as long as someone picks up the Showtime boxing rights here in Canada, which is a big problem, uh, I will be one of those viewers.
3: I think <laughs> Matias versus Progress should become your uh, Android Charlo, Corey. Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe. You should adopt it in and that way, you can feel the pain of something never happening. Because uh, I've, I've got years. <laughs> Maybe that then there.
4: I'd have someone uh, in my DMs. But I have no one in my DMs.
3: You don't. You don't. <laughs> want, you don't want these people in your DMs. You do not want them in your DMs. Uh, good segue there, Jake, to talk about PBC. Um, mm-hmm. In in the PBC universe, fighters seem to be let's just say branching out for now more than ever before. You got Fulton, you know, going over to Japan at some point to fight In a way. Uh, Deontay Wilder recently declared himself a free agent. Andy Ruiz sort of did. Like said he's leaving Tom Brown, but he's staying with Al Heyman. I'm not sure what that means. Um you know, you're connected to the people inside PBC. Do you get any sense that there's some kind of shift going on there? Is this just the case of a few top fighters are exploring other opportunities, or are we seeing something fundamentally changed or the beginning of potentially something fundamentally changed with PBC?
5: Yeah, it's tough to get in the weeds with this because like once you start asking these questions, then you get like such varying different answers. That, there's this audience that wants to see PBC just finally crash and burn. They've been predicting it since 2015. There's others who just stand in front of a fire and say everything's fine. You know, you know, there's no problems. Um, I do like Showtime's commitment. We're seeing it like in the first six, seven months. They're certainly putting on a lot of shows. I'm not going to say it's like their best schedule. I thought even what they did in 2021 you know, Eclipse is what they're doing now, but the effort is definitely there. Um, I want to focus on the positive, though. I prefer like Fulton saying, OK, well, you're giving me this rematch with Brandon Figueroa, but hey, in way, is moving up to 122. I want to fight this guy. And then they went ahead and made that fight happen. So it's obviously in a fight that's way too expensive to put in the U.S. without putting it on pay-per-view, and it's a pay-per-view disaster. Fulton's willing to go to Japan, get a huge payday for this fight and, and a winnable fight. So that's, you know, I, I like that, you know, PBC, not PBC is allowing it, but they listened to what Stephen Fulton wanted and they said, go ahead and make that fight happen. And he did. With Wilder and Ruiz, it's disappointing that the money is not there to satisfy both of them. But I don't know if I blame PBC for that. I think to say this is what the fight is worth to us to put on, even to put on pay-per-view. Deontay Wilder and Andy Ruiz saying we want more money. So, you know, now Deontay exploring other options. I don't even know if that fight is going to happen. But if they're asking for far more than what they think is fair market value, I I think that's a fair reset on the part of PBC. So I'm not going to say, you know, that they're going to close up shop yet. I think they're just reevaluating, Okay, where should we be spending our money? Especially, you know, we got to remember, too, Fox Sports is no longer Mm -hmm. doing boxing. They were supposed to do, you know, pay-per-views. I don't know what happened with that, but it's now down to showtime. It's showtime, even if they go every other weekend, there's still only so many dates they can give to satisfy all these contracts. So. I, I I think, you know, in that regard, you know, where Wilder and Ruiz are claiming, you know, f- promotional free agent status. Yeah, go ahead and go explore, see who's gonna give you more money. If they can go fight in the Middle East, then God bless them. You know, that's you know, that's less money out of PBC's pocket. So yeah. I, I think it's just a great a smarter investment on their part. Yeah, and Corey, I, I think it's great to
3: see at least the possibility of guys bouncing from promotional companies to network. There's no real downside to it. I mean, like Andy Ruiz made it clear he's still working with Al and Deontay Wilder is still working with Al and Al Heyman will be involved in negotiations for their next fight, wherever it is, on whatever network it lands on. Like, Eddie Hearn has some kind of relationship with Middle Eastern countries. Maybe that could be what gets a Wilder Ruiz fight done, which is ultimately all that matters. We just want to see those two guys uh, get into the ring. And, you know, look, Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis is happening because Ryan Garcia and Golden Boy are doing a deal where the fight is going to land on Showtime pay-per-view. Like, this just, this kind of should be how it works, like where yeah. maybe we can slowly start to break this mold where exclusivity is all that matters. I mean, it's it's to a lesser extent, but I was reading on boxing scene, you know, Joe Markovsky at the Zone, you know, writing or saying to a reporter, like, we're open to all promoters. You want to bring a fight to us, you got a good one? Like, come come over here, like pitch it to us. Like, who knows if they will, but if you know, if there aren't if PBC doesn't have the options that it once did, specifically when it comes to networks, two of them that would would put on fights. I'd love to see them start working with other companies other networks just to try to get some of these big fights done
4: yeah and, and maybe some of this is, is out of necessity i mean obviously to, to a certain degree it must be uh but maybe you know some of it is it's just them deciding okay this is the best course of action like I have no special insight on what's happening. I come to you guys, the the capital R reporters, to uh, to learn some of these things. Uh, as far as like what's we'll put, happening, we we'll Jake, the, we'll put
3: Jake in the capital R. I'll go lowercase. Okay, like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know,
4: right I, I do not have an R uh, in my uh, at the beginning of my job title whatsoever. But I will. I, I I would say this. Like I think there's a tendency when we talk or when people, not we, when people in boxing talk about PBC and Al Heyman there's a tendency to lead with skepticism and I am quite the opposite, you know, and I, you know, as someone who also loves uh, the the music industry and knowing kind of Al's history and what he did, like the, the the landscape as we know it of the music industry and the live event industry, the ticketing industry, like Al Heyman is extremely crucial to a, a lot of what we know as the, like the modern foundation of how things in modern promotion, and I mean event promotion, period, and how they work, period. So I there's a, there's a degree of trust that I have in the decisions that he makes that they will be good ones for his clients, and obviously monetarily for himself. So I, I don't necessarily know what's going on. But what I do know is that the two fights that we're most excited about, by and large, involve PBC fighters crossing over to fight someone else right now. So my feeling right now is that whatever is happening is, is something that's probably going to benefit the fighters right now. And, and I just I just generally have trust that Al Heyman is going to make a good decision.
3: Uh, look, I think it is a good decision not to guarantee huge sums of money for a Wilder Ruiz fight. Because as compelling as the three of us find that fight, I don't think it's going to have the mainstream appeal that will justify it like... Five million a piece more, perhaps, in potential purchases, uh, uh you know, right. pay per view buys. So, that's you got to do what you got to do. Like, I've, I've often said this, Like I, I don't believe there should be anything more than minimal guarantees in pay per view. That's the whole point of pay per view. You are paid per view. If you don't get the views, right. you should not be paid because you didn't get them. Like, I'm not right. trying to be pro promoter here or pro advisor, but these networks and promoters should not be left on the hook to pay a, a big bill. Just for the right to get these fights on on their network, so I I, I like that and I like the idea of of cross promotional stuff because these guys Jake they gotta they gotta be busier man like yeah. you can't build a career fighting once a year you just can't no matter how big that fight is you gotta fight minimum two times and if there's an opportunity fight three I understand injuries happen tough fights take some extended time off but like. The fact that Deontay Wilder, who had a one-round fight against Robert Hellenius back in what, November, whenever that was? October. October yeah, like, is now, we're looking like what, June? July, maybe, for his next fight? Like, he gotta, these guys gotta get back into it and be active. Maybe this, Jake, is a way that it can happen. Maybe, and again, we're sometimes too optimistic about what boxing can do, but, like, maybe this is a way that we get guys busier, because that's what will help the sport more than anything.
5: Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And, and you know, I do applaud that, you know, they're not... You know, for people say like Al Heyman is this control freak that you know everything has to happen under his, you know, tent or whatever, you know, allowing them to branch out, you know, so to speak, I, I I do have to applaud that. You know, to your point, like if guys don't want to settle for like, okay, well, this is the only date that Showtime has available, this is the budget they have available, they they need to get in the ring as, as often as possible. So I I yeah, I c I can't agree more with that point.
3: Yeah. Um another uh, potential move that we have for this year is uh, Terrence Crawford, who seems to be trending towards a deal with uh, with Golden Boy. I saw Crawford at the Creed 3 premiere. We're both, you know, movie stars, as you guys know. And, uh, you know, I, it does seem like the Alexis Rocha fight, one way or the other, is going to happen. The WBO uh, right. recently ordered that fight. Corey, you know, I, I've said to you before on air, like, I'm fine with that fight. Like, Crawford's a massive favorite, but you got to defend your title against the mandatory. Alexis Rocha is the highest ranked guy. Um, if he knocks him out, big deal. Like you got to test yourself at some point. And for Bud Crawford, it goes back to the thing about activity. He's been a once a year fighter for like the last three and a half, four years. Like if you can get an opportunity to get right back in in April or May, probably May, uh, and, and fight an Alexis Rocha, don't you just have to do it and, and see if you can build some momentum back yourself?
4: Yeah, 100%. Now, is this obviously the ideal scenario or the one that everyone wanted? No, but it is also the position that we're in. Like, could better decisions have been made that would have resulted in him facing Errol Spence? Yes. But the the position that Crawford is in right now, he needs to link up with somebody to start making fights because he he can't just fight on BLK Prime and be able to fight the caliber of opponents or the frequency of them that he would like or that fans would like for a top level fighter. So, you know, uh, it's it's obviously second to Crawford Spence, but if we get Crawford Rocha as a potential, you know, trampoline towards uh, Crawford versus Virgil Ortiz, that to me is very positive. And also, you know, it, we called Alexis Rocha George Ashy and you asked Rocha the question, you know, like, do you think you're ready for Terence Crawford? And he also isn't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. He said, "I don't know. I'll, I guess I'll fucking find out when I get in there." <laughs> you know, like that's the, we'll find out. And so he's willing to test himself. Rocha isn't saying like I demand this fight. I, I you know, I 100% deserve this fight. He kind of recognizes that. Yeah, he's been fighting the George Ashies, but he is positioned within the rankings to get a Terence Crawford fight. So of course he's going to challenge himself and take it. So I think that this is the, the type of fight that is is good for Terence Crawford right now. And also not one that anyone needs to lie about in terms of what it is. You know, Rocha, I think I saw the odds today, is a plus 600 underdog. That's fair. That's what this fight is, and it's a potential uh, appetizer for Crawford, Virgil Ortiz, which everyone should be excited about.
3: Jake, I'm kind of impressed that Golden Boy might be able to get this done. Like, Granted, Crawford doesn't have a lot of options right now. He's... Right. I guess he's still involved with a lawsuit somehow with top with top rank. They're not mm-hmm. going to work together. Uh, the PPC conversation didn't end well. Eddie Hearn doesn't have anybody for him. Um, right. I, I guess golden boy was really the only game in town, but even when that picture was posted on social media, I'm like, all right, well, that's nice. It's a little publicity that, stunt. I, I wasn't sure it was yes. going to get done, but it does seem like, you know, a Rocha fight is probably the, the the favorite at this point to happen for Crawford next. And, you know, I, I look, if Ortiz beats Danny Owens, which by the way, 50-50 fight, that's, there's no guarantee that happens. Uh, Ortiz against, um, against Crawford would be a pretty big event. So um, I, I guess the question is like, are you surprised is the path we're kind of on right now with
5: Crawford leaning in Golden Boy's direction? So when I saw that picture post, you know, my first question was, okay, is this just Oscar trolling? Obviously, you know, as you said, it's a Rocha fight week. So why not draw attention to it? But it, when you look at the rankings, it makes sense. We knew Rocha was going to float up to the, that number one position because Boots was ahead of him, Virgil Ortiz was ahead of him. They're both fighting. Well, Boots now has the interim IBF belt. Will probably be upgraded. Ortiz is obviously fighting Onis. They'll probably be upgraded to the WBA full champ. So the next step would be for you know Bud to make his his uh, mandatory title defense against Rocha. and I'm fine with it. Look, I mean, there's still people who are stuck on. Crawford Spence has to happen. It's not going to happen. We don't even know if Errol Spence is going to return to Now, look, And I've said this. Look, last year the fight was supposed to happen. I'm fine. Blame Bud. Give him 100% of the blame. That's fine. You can't change what you had for dinner last night, though. It's time to move <laughs> on. Bud can't sit around and just say, okay, well, I'm going to wait for Spence to make his next move. His fight hasn't even been announced yet. We have an idea of when it's going to happen. But that, you know, Showtime intentionally has not yet announced it. So Bud has to move on with his own career in the meantime. So I, I think it's a perfectly acceptable fight you know as far as like you talk about staying active you know Alexis Rocha lost the fight he lost to Rashidi Ellis he's fought six times since then his last fight was his fifth fight and I think in like 13 or 14 months so that that's what you do now he's worked his way back into contention and you know like he said you know I I don't know if I'm going to be good enough until I get in the ring with him even if he loses he's 25 years old he has time to come back from that so these are the type of fights like when they only happen once a year yes the fight's not good but when you get guys who are active, these are the type of fights you get to fill the gap. So that's what I view it as. So, and if this fight does lead to Bud fighting the winner of Ortiz and Stannyonis, even if he doesn't sign with Golden Boy, as long as he has that working relationship, because like you said, the, the bridge has been burned with just about everyone else. I mean, he has. I think he has a decent. You know, I don't know if he has any kind of relationship with um, Eddie Hearn, but at least Eddie was honest in saying, "Well, I don't have anyone on this side to offer him, so why would I sign him?" Golden Boy has guys that they can throw at him, so. I, I'm fine with that. He needs a working relationship with someone, even if not necessarily a promotional contract. What, so I, I'm fine with this. path. What, what, and one thing I, I would add to that, too,
4: Jake, is that it's beneficial for Crawford at this point from a PR perspective, because he is kind of fighting a little bit of an upward battle, right? Because there are a lot of people who put all the blame on Bud for that fight not yeah. happening. But so, yeah, he can't change what happened there. But one thing he can do is, is just be purely active. Just sheer activity is yeah. what he does have at his disposal if he can work with a golden boy and with some other promoters. He can't give people the gourmet meal that they wanted, but he can give them not not a buffet, but he can give them dim sum, you know? He can give them like, yeah. you know, 60% caliber <laughs> dishes quite often, uh, That and that's, right. you know, that will help. That will help his standing amongst the fan base.
3: By the way, uh, Jake, the, the the people that play the blame game on Crawford versus Spence, if you put a gun to my head right now and told me who's at fault, I would have no idea! No idea (laughs) like if And look, we all talk to people in this business. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got a take on it. Um, We all followed or tried to follow that Twitter beef and then the video Crawford posted out there. But like if you are sitting there listening to this podcast telling me, you know, definitively who is to blame for that fight falling apart. You are a thousand times smarter than I am. You are because for whatever reason, it crumbled. Crawford has his reasons for walking away. Spence had his reasons for pushing for whatever he pushed for. It's too complicated right now. Uh, you know, hedge funds, foreign countries, splits, right. expenses. I don't know what the fuck is going on with, with that. <laughs> that was wild. I, I would say, I have, Jake, I don't know about you, but I've kind of, I would say this, I've abandoned this fight happening, or Spence happening at 147. I don't think it's happening yep. at 147, because I don't believe Spence is going to cut back down seven pounds. I think he's at 154 now. He'll fight Keith Thurman at some point. I don't know, like, what happens with Charlo and those belts? Like I don't, I don't imagine they'd ever fight each other. They have the same trainer, and I don't know. That just naturally it seems a little odd. But like, if one belt belt becomes vacant, or Jermell Charlo moves up to 160, which is certainly possible, it's open field right now at middleweight. Um, I think Spence is a junior middleweight, and maybe collect some titles up there. Maybe they fight at 154. But I, if if you ask me, the one question I can't answer is I don't, as I don't believe that fight happens at welterweight anymore. I think Crawford's path to becoming undisputed. Is now defend your title against Rocha, and the winner of Ortiz-Daniunas is the first steps, so and maybe a boots fight is the yeah. big fight for you at 147.
5: No, I agree. That's going to be a path. Like if he stays at 147, go collect all the belts that are going to become available once again. Because before, prior to 2022, I always said that if Crawford and Spence ever happened, and I never believed they would, that it would happen at 154. Then when the negotiations happen, like we all got hope. It's like, oh wow, this fight you know really has you know there's a pathway to it. So now I'm just I'm just checked out with it. Like once Bud said, OK, I'm going to go fight for Uncle Des and, you know, take his 10 million dollars. I, I was done with that. OK, this fight is never going to happen, at least not at Walter Wade. I'm fine with that. You know, if Spence has his options, great. Go move on with your own career. I have my own theory about what's going to happen to him at 154. I do believe Charlo will probably let go of a belt because he's not going to sit there and just keep fighting mandatories the rest of his career. But for Bud, there's still a pathway to him fighting undisputed. It's the scenic route and it'll probably, you know, be at the end of his career. But again, it it begins with, you know, having a relationship with Golden Boy, who probably has the most, you know, welterweights that they can throw at him right now.
3: That's what he should call the... Uh, path to undisputed now, the scenic route. I like that. But right. like, <laughs> Golden Bush put that in a press release called <laughs> Gold Boy Signs Bud Crawford. The scenic route. Come on. It, it
4: passes through uh, Indio. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Indio. Uh last thing for you guys. Uh I'm gonna raise a metaphorical glass for BLK Prime. Um yeah. shout out BLK Prime. I don't know what your future is at the moment, but you had an interesting run. You uh showed us new ways to light money on fire. With the uh, Crawford <laughs> fight against David Avanesian. And now you are out of the Adrian Broner business. Broner takes to social media and says he's a free agent once again. Zero fights into a three fight contract <laughs> that he claimed would be worth eight figures. And now Adrian Broner is on the market once again. Jake, I have no insight into why this, this happened. I've made no calls on it. But, like, right. uh, do you have any clue as to why the Broner BLK Prime relationship crumbled before it even started?
2: <laughs>
5: Well, you're raising a glass. So I'm going to spill one out in the in death of BLK Prime. I, I'm pretty sure they're out of the business at this point. I have heard that they are most likely going to fold up shop. Maybe I'm dead wrong on that. I'll, I'm fine if I am. But I, I just, you know, I think they did try with good intention to go through with this event. It just obviously didn't happen for a variety of reasons. I can't recall like so many opponents pulling out within such a short time frame. Or, you know, not being being available. I just, it was a horrible, you know, mix from the start. I think they thought that with Broner, like it would kind of catch fire, but it, it just didn't. Ticket sales were horrible, even if that fight happened. So I just don't know what's next for Broner. I, you know, the the apology tour is very noticeable. Maybe he somehow works his way back with. You know, with PVC that they find a fight for him, they'll they'll find opportunities for him. But yeah, it always seems to go that way. He talks junk, he gets a fight, the fight doesn't happen, he talks more junk, and then it just it's I don't know if it's a love-hate relationship. But um I I I don't know. I don't know if I, I'm sure we'll see Bronner in the ring at some point. I know they keep talking about him fighting possibly Connor Ben. It just feels like some type of circus atmosphere. He's talking about he wants to fight Regis Progray. That's okay. I, yeah, I, I don't think we'll ever see Adrian Broner in any in a meaningful fight ever again. I mean, it'll be a fight that'll catch attention, but uh, you know, something on the title level, I just don't see it happening. Corey, I know you
3: are preparing a oral history on BLK Prime. What, uh, what, what are your thoughts on on the end of BLK Prime?
4: Uh, my glass is empty, so I can neither toast nor pour one out, and, and I suspect that that's the reason why uh, you know BLK Prime is uh, coming to his demise. You know, when you Google searched uh, the offices of BLK Prime, they did not look like the location of a company that could fund. Uh, regular multi-million dollar boxing events. So uh, that's one thing. But when it comes to Adrian Broner, like, listen, like, I just hope that Adrian Broner's okay. You know, like, obviously, this is a man who is is deeply troubled. Um, has been going through uh, substance abuse issues, things outside of the ring. Uh, you know, clearly, you know, his interviews are drastically different, kind of day after day. And I just hope that he's all right. And I, I hope that there is still someone in his life and, and professionally that is going to look out for him uh, but you know he continues to be compelling enough uh, amusing enough to people and obviously talented enough to continue to get opportunities so whether he's whether he's in like a big big fight again uh i don't know but yeah i honestly i could see him facing connor ben you know because there are going to be a lot of people that don't want to face connor ben for the reasons that we all understand uh but broner as someone that doesn't have a ton of options right now, or at least needs to create them might be the type of fighter that would jump at something like that. It would make uh, a fight for Connor Ben uh, interesting to some. So I I could see something like that happening. There will be opportunities for Adrian Broner. uh, But for me, I I, that's just secondary to just hoping that this isn't a sport that does more harm to him than good.
3: Yeah. I'm with you on hoping Mm -hmm. it works out for Adrian Broner on a personal level. I I remember just being, I went to his camp years ago before the Maidana fight in Colorado Springs and spent a few days kind of learning his story from the people around him. And he's really overcome a lot to get to this point. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you you hope that he can get some semblance of a career uh, back on track. That's number one. I I do want to keep it light though, for a moment, like we've seen in boxing, we have seen some creative ways to just flush money down the toilet, like just burn Mm -hmm. it. Like, Whatever PBC did with all that Waddell and Reed money. Um, Eddie Hearn going out there and signing like Tevin Farmer to multi-million dollar deals of the guys that he was putting on from 2018 up until 2020. Like boxing just gives you example after example of what it means to see money disappear in real time. (laughs) BLK Prime <laughs> might, at least in the short run, might take the cake. I mean, yeah. guaranteeing Terrence Crawford $10 million for a fight that probably did, like, I- I've heard anywhere from 25000 or less, you know, for that pay-per-view. Um, guaranteeing him all that much money, then giving Broder a deal. Then, I believe, Jake, you were the first one to post this, like, Whoever was on Facebook, like asking for an opponent to fight Adrian Broner, and by the way, offering one hundred and seventy-five thousand yes. dollars—that's real money, like that's legitimate <laughs> money—to be an opponent for Adrian Broner. I'm almost shocked that nobody was was able to take it at this point. That, that this was an incredible run. Like, like I, I, some we need to call Ed Brophy at at get His Dota and like get get <laughs> BLK Prime somewhere in the Hall of Fame. Like, just get them. Yeah get them somewhere. Um on Broner, I do think a Ben Fight, I'm with you guys, makes makes mm-hmm. sense. Ben's going to get back in the ring at some point. He can he's not vindicated, he's not, you know, anything because of what the WBC said. In fact, he's actually uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's like disputing the WBC's findings. He said it's like wasn't it wasn't eggs, it was bad testing, which is, you know, always the uh, that old chestnut of of bad testing. Okay. But he knows and Eddie Hearn knows the British boxing board of control is not going to fold the same way that WBC did. Like they're not, he's not going to get licensed anytime soon, but he can go over to the middle East and the middle East is where some money is. They might have enough money to pay Adrian Broner. And look, a Ben fight, quite frankly, I don't know if it's winnable for Adrian Broner, but it's the most winnable high profile fight. That's going to be out there. Connor Ben's got power, but Adrian broner has got a great chin and Broner's going to have an experience advantage. He can do some things in the ring. If he's right, and we don't know about that, but if he's yeah. right, Jake, he, that, that's the fight he can win. Like that's, and if he wins that fight, you know, that's, that's an easy way to get your career back on track. It'll, it'll be at one forty seven, yep. you know, a weight that Broner is now probably officially at, at the moment forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that, that to me is the, you know, if Broner can find a way to swallow his pride and realize you're not going to get like $4 million to do it, um, he right. should run towards that fight if at all possible.
5: No, I agree 100. I've always said to, um, he's not going to allow himself to be like a stepping stone for prospects or guys who don't have any kind of profile whatsoever. And to Corey's point, like you want to, you know, know that the guy is going to be happy. I mean, he had to pull out of the Omphakuro fight. He cited mental health issues. I mean, we know they're very real with him. So he seemed like he was a lot happier going into this camp. He looked like he was at least in shape. You know, it you know had the fight happen. So I, I'm not going to say the dedication is there, and he's going to stay on course. But a fight like this, I think, would really get him going. It would probably have, you know, I know Eddie has the deal in Abu Dhabi, the championship series or whatever. So that's going to be probably Conor Ben's, you know, home base up until he can get licensed anywhere else in the world. So uh, there's real money there for Broner. I mean, he doesn't have to sit around and, you know, chase, you know, Facebook fights or whatever. So uh, I think Adrian Broner could push it all in for that one. Um, I, I don't know where it would lead to, but it's good enough to get him to the next step in his career so it's a real payday he doesn't have to go and fight like some 19 and 0 hungry prospect that just wants to use his name and this is by the way this is why he still has options because
4: even three people like us were on here and we we started off kind of jovial and then we were like huh but if he puts it all together maybe he can win this fight right because we've seen the, the adrian broner of 10 years ago like we've seen that electric talent you know, and, and so I think we tend to do this with these kind of embattled but extremely talented athletes. Just merely that conversation leading up to their next fight, their next performance is always enough curiosity to hook you, right? And he is always going to have that. So there will always be opportunities for him. And you're right, Jake. I, I think that he understandably thinks too highly of himself to ever allow himself to go that other path. He always needs right. to, if not be the A side, then the de facto A side, and there will still be opportunities for that. They're still out there.
3: I just want to know who the who's going to be the BLK Prime of twenty twenty three. Like who who's coming in in the second half of this year with bold plans to take over boxing? Who's coming in just, with Marv Nation money? Who's coming in with BLK Prime money? <laughs> Excuse me. Who's going to win that next purse bid? Triller money? Like, who's going to come in? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Why does nobody in boxing realize this? Why Why is this so hard to wrap your head around that just pumping money in to one A-side-ish fighter is not going to work? It's not going to work. You've got to be competitive. you got to put on consistent events. Oh, and it's almost like, it's like I'm we're like in the mayor of Crazy Town here. At sometimes with boxing. Listen,
4: I, I don't know who it's going to be, but whoever it is, my agent is Debbie Spander. You need someone to call oh these fights. Oh, for the love of God!
3: Oh, uh, you uh, yeah, Corey, Corey. Corey, Corey will call something in Kazakhstan. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so I'll yes. fly right over there and take care of it. Uh, read Jake and Corey's stuff over at BoxingScene.com. Follow them on social media. Great insight and intel into all things in the boxing world. Fellas, always great to catch up. Looking forward to seeing you guys real soon. Anytime. Heal that foot.
5: Yes. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to you being back on the back off the uh, engine list.
3: And when we come back, my conversation with Steven Espinoza.
6: the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
0: Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer.
2: All right. Stephen
3: Espinoza is the president of Showtime Sports. Showtime Boxing has nine upcoming events over the next four months, including the big one, the one that Stephen so callously iced me out of April 22nd. (laughs) Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, catch weight fight, mega fight in Las Vegas. And Stephen joins me to talk about that and much more on the show I feel like that was an appropriate intro Stephen what do you think
1: I I would expect nothing less Chris (laughs) (laughs) um let me ask you first then
3: about Garcia and Tank uh this was a fight that looked like it was done late last year predictably some hiccups came up along the way over the last couple of months were there points that you were legitimately concerned that this fight wouldn't get made?
1: Um, I would say no. Um, and, and really, the, the reason why, because there are certainly you know, points of disagreement. There are some things that I think were I think new points relatively late in the process, you know, and that's always aggravating. But I, I think the, the reason why um, I wasn't concerned, I was optimistic and confident that it would get done the whole time is because of Tank and Ryan. And look, it's an oversimplification, but if you look at Spence Crawford, you know, that was proceeding. And then one guy decided to take an exit ramp and pursue another opportunity. Um, It was clear throughout this process because both Tank and Ryan had various opportunities to go a different direction and they had no interest in doing so. So as long as they stayed engaged and they remained committed, the rest of us had no point, uh, but had had no, no choice but to make a deal. So as long as the fighters stay engaged and, and focused on it, then um, then I knew everything else would work out.
3: You know, both these guys have massive audiences, very diverse audiences, very different audiences. What kind of pay-per-view business are you expecting? I'm sure you're not going to put a number on it um, at this point, but are you looking at this as being the kind of, of show that could rival, say, Canelo Plant, which you did uh, a couple of years ago, is it something a little bit smaller scale? Like, what kind of business are you expecting?
1: Yeah, I mean, if we look at Canelo Plant, um, that that has been sort of the high water mark of recent pay per views. That eight hundred range—it's about what Fury Wilder two and three did, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit less. Canelo Plant was right around eight hundred, so that that seems to be um, sort of not necessarily the ceiling, but sort of the high water mark we've seen. I'd be thrilled with those numbers. Um, you know, this is Ryan's first time on pay-per-view. Tank's been on several times. I, I think why I'm optimistic, though, is if we make a list of the the fighters who are known outside of the regular boxing fan, it's a pretty short list. Um, but aside from Canelo, you know, Ryan and Tank are probably top of that list, you know, in terms of people who attract the attention of, of the group of of an audience that doesn't pay attention to boxing all the time. So we're, we're pulling not from our usual pool, but a much broader pool. So I think this could definitely be a breakout, but I also think that regardless of the outcome, both of these guys, this is the kind of fight where both of these guys end up bigger afterwards. And, you know, hopefully I expect something that's good enough that maybe we see it, you know, again, later on down the line, they're young enough to do that.
3: Yeah. And that's frankly often the case where if two great fighters get in the ring, you know, there's a winner, there's a loser, but there's rarely a real loser. Like you, you both gain something significant, um, uh, from an event like that. You guys at Showtime love the scheduled dump. You love the schedule dump. The here's, here's our next 47 fights in the next <laughs> uh, four and a half months. As you look at this calendar, which has a sprinkling of pay-per-view sprinkling of Showtime championship boxing show box cards on there as well. Um, what do you like about this schedule? What is what is different or or notable about this schedule?
1: I I think it's a couple of things. Um obviously we're going to a really, really busy period um of like you said, you know, nine fights or nine events over, I think an eleven week period. Um at, at some point, eight weeks, eight live boxing events in, in a row over consecutive weekends. Um I think it's I think it's the depth because I think we have uh, really made an effort to provide value. Second fight down the card, third fight down the card. You know, sometimes we're opening the cards with title fights, meaningful title fights. So I think that's one thing we're proud of. Um, the other thing we're proud of is sort of the, I think the variety. I mean, this represents, you know, the, the range of the sport from showbox to arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, pay per view that can be made you know, right now. So it's it's a little bit of everything, you know, it's not uh, heavily weighted, you know, pay per view or anything else. I think, you know, there's a good spread of everything from young guys at 10 and 0 to your established stars. And we've got a lot of names that are just about to get finalized, but some of the bigger names aren't even on the schedule yet. The uh, the Spences, the Charlos, uh, Morrell, Ennis, you know, those will be coming pretty shortly. Um, and then when you layer those on, it's it's going to be even bigger and better.
3: So I think we know, you know, Errol Spence, Keith Thurman sort of dancing around each other for a little while. You know, we're waiting for Jamel Charlo to get past his injury issue to get back into the ring. Jamal Charlo is the most intriguing name kind of out there. He hasn't fought since June of 2021. He came back recently on social media and said, I'll be back this June which would be right around the two-year anniversary of his last fight. Um, are you expecting him to be added to the calendar before the end of June? And like, what are realistic expectations for Jamal Charlo at this point, being off this long?
1: I do expect him, you know, whether it's June or um, or you know, early July, I think somewhere in there it makes sense. Um, we're close to finalizing a fight. Um, I mean, being completely candid, he has been off two years, an injury, um, some personal issues to be sorted out he's anxious to get back in the ring i think um look uh, being complete candid 160 isn't the deepest division you know there's very good talent at the top um but there's a there's a gap once you get past the, the top names um i think you know i don't think it's fair to ask him coming off the injury and some time off to take off the the toughest opponent at the top of the list you know it's clearly not going to be Adamus or someone like that. But I think it will be a credible fight. And I'd look to see a a meaningful fight, maybe Adamus or something like that as the next fight before the end of the year.
3: Well, if he goes to 168, Stephen, there's a former two-division title holder just hanging out in the PBC universe now. uh, Undefeated American Trash talker, you know.
1: I uh let's see. I'm checking my watch. Uh what are we seven minutes into the intro? This is this is a record. You waited seven minutes to bring up Demetrius Andre. I, I did. I've I've
3: kind of, you know, he's just been so off for so long too. I mean, these guys, they could just they're so inactive. Just get back in well, there and fight each well, other.
1: Well, look, um, I, I for once I I I agree with you. for uh, once. For once, I agree. <laughs> there's a you. backhanded
3: compliment yeah, right there. Right.
1: So, you know, March, obviously, we've got a big fight with Benavidez plan. Um Canelo seems to have other plans for the foreseeable future. You know, maybe he secures the the Bebo fight in the fall, maybe he doesn't. Let's let's assume he's true to his word and he does that. Um, then the rest of the guys, look, you, you throw the names in the hat. The Plant, uh, Charlo, if he goes up there, Morel and Andre. You know, there's plenty of talent there, plenty of good fights. I don't see you know why not only Andre, but everybody else in that pool can't do high-level fights even without Canelo in the mix.
3: Yeah, I think that actually it's a great opportunity for somebody this year to separate and go into 2024 as the only choice for Canelo to fight in May. Because, like you said, all that talent is there. It's all under the same kind of umbrella. You know, Benavidez, probably the most talented guy of the bunch. Plant, though, pretty accomplished. Andrade, pretty accomplished. If somebody comes out of that with, like, two quality wins, there's going to be a mandate to face Canelo uh, next year, one other thing on on a potential fight you mentioned Crawford, it, it sure looks like as we tape this that he's trending towards some kind of deal with Golden Boy that involves Alexis Rocha. His mandatory uh, Golden Boy also has Virgil Ortiz if he can beat Stanionis at the end of April. Um, on the subject of Spence Crawford, if right now ten being you're overwhelmingly optimistic that that fight's going to happen, one being. Hell no, done. Bury it six feet under. Where are you right now on Spence against Crawford?
1: Um, as the next fight or ever? Ever really? Like ever. you know, you, oh. you know, kind of the logistics. So ever, I I would say uh, six and a half. Okay. Um, I I I think it happens. I'm more optimistic than not that it does happen. Um, I know there's still interest. I know there's still desire on the Spence side. Um, I believe. Uh. Crawford, when he says that he's interested as well. So uh, no one, as long as no one has given up, and I don't think anybody has, there are certainly obstacles, you know, the Rocha, the sanctioning body order being one of them. Um, but I I still, I'm, look, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up until either one of them or both of them are retired.
3: Do you think Spence is done at 147?
1: Um, you know, it's it's difficult I understand it's difficult for him to make the weight. It's not impossible. Um, He can continue doing it. I think the question is okay, um, you know, Crawford, uh, Thurman, Ennis, you know, those are all good opportunities at some point in in the future. Uh, Beyond that, uh, you know, I I think it's as much as wanting a new challenge as it is just a difficulty with the weight.
3: I want to ask you about some uh, inner boxing type of stuff. You know, PBC's got some. Interesting things happening right now. You've got Adrian Broner recently left the company. Deontay Wilder has declared himself an open agent, whatever exactly that is. Andy Ruiz sort of did too, though he said he's no longer with Tom Brown, but still with Al Heyman. I'm not sure what it's kind of a distinction without a difference. Uh, PBC is still a considerable presence, obviously, in boxing. You work closely with them, but they have a large stable of fighters. And now with Fox effectively out of boxing, one network uh, which is yours to work with? What do you know about the direction PBC is taking and is planning on taking in the in the near future?
1: Well, I, I think you can look at a lot of the schedule, which it's not exclusively PBC, but a lot of it is, and take a cue there. I mean, through the first six months of the year, we've got fourteen live events on our on our account. That's as busy a six month period as I can recall, since I've been here in the last 12 years. And that does not include, you know, possibly another fight or two being layered in in May in June. So look, I, I think they um, are going to remain active. You know, we're, we're going to have to pick up some of the slack. I think you're seeing a lot of good fights um, streaming some big names and other places simply because, you know, there, there isn't necessarily room for everybody and, and, that I think is going to you know, not necessarily force it's going to result in some higher level fights. You know, you know at, at this point you know, the market is such that it, it feels like there's a bit of a contraction going on a little bit. You know, at least back from where we were three or four years ago, where we had four and sometimes five different platforms really active in the U.S. in domestic U.S. boxing, and and that that is has pulled back a little bit. And I think you know with fewer outlets and to be spread across i think you know some of these bigger fights are more likely to happen is that you have a
3: multi-year contract with PBC is this the final year of that contract no we uh, we
1: extend beyond this year
3: okay um obviously this schedule shows a pretty strong commitment to boxing from Showtime everybody read about the restructuring over there Paramount Plus the emphasis more on streaming as everybody seems to be going in that direction what if any impact will that restructuring have on Showtime Boxing?
1: Um, We've, uh, you know, so far, you know, there's nothing that we heard that changes any of our plans. In fact, we've been told and given the green light to continue doing what we've been doing. And I think we've established ourselves as the market leader. And that's the plan continuing going forward. Um, You know, obviously, there's a lot going on in the media industry, I think there's a larger correction um, in sort of the content business generally. As well as the the greater macroeconomic conditions. Um, So, you know, we're susceptible to that like everybody else. Um, The integration with Paramount, I think, is is a result of two things. One, um, you know, continuing the merger that was started two years ago. And, you know, probably more directly, a consolidation. I think we went from a, a period of time where everyone was really excited about streaming. Now there's a million apps out there. And now I think it's going to start rebounding the other way. So I think consolidating within Paramount Plus makes sense. I think, you know, Disney is probably the best example of being able to maintain several brands within one app. Um, and that's the move that's being done. And I think it's, a, it's an opportunity for, for boxing as a sport, and Showtime Boxing, um, because being packaged together, you know, side by side on the app, um, and giving access to all the great sports audiences that are already on Paramount Plus and CBS, from NFL through soccer through NCAA tournament. I think that's a great marketing opportunity. I think you know we have an opportunity to better market the sport and maybe draw on some of that general sports audience.
3: It won't surprise you, but... I mean, in the last couple of months, I've heard from a number of different HBO people who said, wow, this reminds me of kind of what happened with us back in 2017 and 2018. Do you see a a difference, a specific difference in kind of what HBO went through that led to the elimination of boxing over there and the restructuring that you're going through now?
1: Um, I I could see how um, someone could draw that conclusion. I think the difference is... um, uh, I think what we saw uh, HBO was not really a sudden end it it seemed to be a little prolonged so it sort of wound down over a period of 2 to 3 years um that's that's not what we're experiencing you know here um I think you know, last year was one of our biggest years in terms of content spend and this year is going to be bigger than that so from that perspective no, we're not really winding down um I mean, who knows what the future of the media business is and you know all that but that is that's that's something that is there every day but in terms of this company itself we haven't seen anything that that hints to us that things are winding down.
3: do you think there's an obvious I'm always fascinated by what is the future of boxing broadcasting like where is it on what platform? Because like Showtime right now going through its it's a restructuring um Dazone just had a price increase that was extremely significant. Uh, ESPN still putting on fights, but ESPN also has to pay the NBA in a couple of years. They have to pay UFC in a couple of years. I don't know how that's going to affect their boxing programming. Um, it just doesn't seem like I, you can point to something that absolutely positively works. Do you think there is something out there, a, a model that absolutely positively works that can be sustainable, that can be successful, that can you know be something boxing can, can hold on to?
1: I mean, it is a uh, it's a it's a really great question and, and a question that I, I think um, that the true boxing event should be asking. Um, we know that there have been challenges with ad supported, purely ad supported boxing. And um, I think we can get a better job. We should do and can do a better job attracting sponsors to the sport. But that's one of the challenges. I, I think it's got to be a, a combination of a broad, potentially ad based platform. As well as subscription, because I don't think either one by itself is, is enough to satisfy, to support the entire sport. Um, and I, I think you, you point out to another dynamic sort of implicitly, which is, you know, as all these other sports become exponentially more expensive at a time where there are economic pressures, um, you know, some of the niche sports, you know, may be squeezed out. You know, and that that is a risk not just for boxing, but from everything else. You know, the big sports rights are just continuing to explode in cost. Now, having said all of that, you know, we've been here for nearly forty years, and we weathered a lot of storms, a lot of transitions in the market. And I'd like to think, and, and we are confident, in fact, that we'll figure it out. You know, we'll figure it out. We figured out the transition to streaming. We're still a market leader. We'll continue to figure out and adjust as the market changes.
3: Stephen, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, the Showtime schedule, pretty strong all the way through June, and they've got a bunch of more fights to announce over the next couple of months. And um, Sergio and I have decided we're going to do a pirate broadcast in the parking lot of
1: um, Garcia <laughs> Davis. No, I can we're, get you in the arena. I'm pretty gonna, sure I can handle that.
3: We're, no, no, we're going to do a post-fight interview with Sean Garcia afterwards. <laughs> okay. And... and we're going to do our own version with like a banner and a couple of folding chairs in the I, I know a
1: guy, Gary Davis, that you could also interview if you'd like to do that.
3: Are you? By the <laughs> way, last thing: Are you? No venue's been announced yet. I mean, Vegas no. has a lot of different options out there. Is there one more likely than another at the moment as we tape this on March first?
1: Um, I, I think we're probably looking at look the 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 sort of default is. M- gm t-mobile and and potentially legion um i would say just because of the size and demand of the fight probably that would lean toward you know clearly t-mobile or legion um and we've had conversations with both there are some challenges going to the football stadium as sort of novel and exciting as that would be um but i I think it comes down to one of those two venues
3: yeah everybody kind of Wants that football stadium experience. I'll say this: I know it's cool, kind of from a television perspective. Like you remember those Cowboy Stadium fights? Like they weren't very good. Like people were watching the fight on the big screen, and not I mean, fifty-five thousand is great. I mean, we just did. I was part of the one at AT and T Stadium, seventy-six thousand. But you're you're watching fights on a screen. You watch like you're on TV, paying high price for beer, sitting in your seat.
1: Yeah, it, you know, there, there are there are ups and downs. And, you know, in the reality, obviously, you know, once you get to the risers, you're much further away from the ring than you would be if you were in the risers in the arena, obviously. So there there's some downsides, um, you know, and those are all the kinds of things that are being discussed. Um, everything from the, the cost of being the arena, some of the upgrades that would be necessary because, look, AT&T Stadium, you've got the advantage of that huge center hung scoreboard. Allegiant doesn't have those; they just have hands on. So you you don't want to set up a scenario where everybody, you know, who's at the fight is constantly looking this way and that way, rather than you know at least you can with a center hung. Now there's obviously solutions, but that's those are the types of challenges that you encounter.
3: Well, either way, it's going to be a massive event. Uh, two guys that that draw a big crowd;
1: it can. I'll, I'll do shy. an interview with you. You can always get me, Chris.
3: I'll, I'll oh, go in the great. parking lot. Can you come to the tent.
1: You come to the parking lot. I'll, I'll go uh, to the tent.
3: <laughs> Stephen Essendos, good to talk to you, man.
1: All right. You too, Chris.
3: When we come back, this week's picks brought to you by FanDuel.
6: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva, with an uplifting scent that smells like coconut. also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
0: Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal
3: All right, boxing fans, if you are a UFC fan as well, John Jones, he returns to the Octagon this Saturday to face off against Cyril Gane with the heavyweight championship on the line. And FanDuel wants you to get in on the action. Right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Bet on who will win, how they will win, when the fight will end, and so much more. So don't miss out. On your chance for a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when John Jones takes on Cyril Gane for the heavyweight title. Exclusively on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. All right, we got back to our winning ways last week here with the gambling picks, all courtesy of our friends over at FanDuel. Subriel Matias, in a short war, <laughs> he beat Jeremiah's Ponce. Uh, by knockout, those are the two picks that I made last week. So I hope you bet with me. hope you made some money. And let's keep this train rolling into next week. This week, I am locked into the 126-pound division. You've got Brandon Figueroa moving up for 122 pounds, facing Mark McSayo, a former title holder in this weight class. Magsayo, he lost last time out to Ray Vargas. Figueroa coming up from 122. Figueroa is the favorite. And I know what some of you might be thinking. Didn't we just get into a little bit of trouble picking a fighter moving up in weight against the guy that's more established? That's what happened a few weeks ago with Ray Vargas and Oshaki Foster. I just think this is a little bit different. I think Figueroa has the size and strength to compete at 126, where it's pretty clear Ray Vargas doesn't have that at 130. And I think Meg Sayo, even though he's a strong guy, you know, he faded kind of late against Gary Russell Jr. and I think he's vulnerable at this weight class. Figueroa is a minus 330 favorite, so not going to win a lot of money there, but I think that's a safe bet, Brandon Figueroa, to win. Where you can win some money is Figueroa by points or decision. That's at plus 145. Take Figueroa by points. He's got some pop, but I think at this weight class, Meg Sayo is going to be strong enough and have a good enough chin to go the distance with Brandon Figueroa. So those are my picks. Brandon Figueroa to win and Brandon Figueroa by Points or Decision. All these picks, of course, brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Jake Donovan, Corey Erdman, and Steven Espinoza for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week.
0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap
2: music to your ears. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners.